Blog Talk Radio. Good evening and welcome to Golf Talk Live. I'm your host, Ted Odorico, broadcasting live every Thursday, 6 to 8 p.m. Central, from Panama City Beach, Florida, home of the world's most beautiful beaches. I want to take this opportunity to thank everyone for joining me on my weekly broadcast. Every week, I'll feature some of the best instructors, coaches, authors, and entrepreneurs in the golf business today. I begin with a great discussion on Coach's Corner, followed by an insightful interview with my special guest. So let's get started by introducing tonight's Coach's Corner panel. All right, good evening, everybody, and once again, thank you for joining me tonight here on Golf Talk Live. I'm very excited to be here, and we've got a great show for you. Uh, we're going to be starting out, as mentioned, uh, with a great Coach's Corner panel discussion, and I've got the guys uh, ready and waiting, and I'll introduce those guys in just a moment. And then a little bit later in the show, I'm going to be joined by my very special guest, Bill Schmeeds, uh, the third. He is a PGA Teach Professional and the inventor and owner of Impact Press. He's going to be joining me on the second half of the show. So I'm really, really excited. Uh, first time uh, on Golf Talk Live, and I know he's going to uh, really lay out uh, some of the advantages of using his product that he invented and created and uh, we'll talk a little bit uh, more about some other stuff as well, but uh, really want to uh, introduce that to uh, to my audience. So thanks again for everybody for joining in. And uh, don't forget, uh, Golf Talk Live is brought to you by the iGolf Sports Network and Golf Tips Magazine. Uh, iGolf Sports is a live stream broadcast and media production company uh, providing uh, top quality uh, programming and, of course, uh, help you guys out there golf tips uh, the game's most in-depth instructional magazine offering insightful reviews on the latest equipment tips from top pga and lpga teach professionals all designed to help improve your game from tee to green so uh, subscribe today go to golftipsmag.com all right as i mentioned i got two great guys uh, here on the panel tonight uh, i've got the john the two johns back again let me introduce you uh, them to the pan, uh, to the uh, audience and then we'll bring them out here uh, first up is john hughes he's a pga master professional and also the honorary president of the North Florida PGA section. And in 2013, he was uh, the recipient of the PJs of America's uh, Horton Smith Award. Uh, he's also a senior editor and Golf Tips Magazine Top 25 instructor, plus part of uh, the Golf Tips advisory staff. Uh, and also uh, the other John is John Decker, of course, uh, PGA instructor, motivational speaker, and also a senior editor and Top 25 instructor, uh, with Golf Tips Magazine. And in 2015, he was the uh, Southern Ohio Teacher of the Year. Uh, prior to that, he was head instructor at the Grand Cypress Academy of Golf, uh, where he worked under top uh, 100 instructors, Fred Griffin, and of course, the late Phil Rogers. Uh, also authored the book, Golf is My Life, Glorifying God Through the Game, which of course includes a Bible study. Um, guys, uh, welcome back once again uh, to the two Johns, uh, to the Coach's Corner panel here on Golf Talk Live. Thank you, Ted. Welcome, Ted. Thank you. Uh, all right. I appreciate it, guys. All right. I think uh, for ease of, of our discussion tonight, I think since we've got two Johns here, and, and rather than me uh, saying both of your names uh, in full all the time, uh, I'm going to do it this way. Uh, John Hughes, I will just call you J.H., and, of course, John Decker, J.D. So I'm going to start with J.H. Uh, to start things off. Uh, in tonight's discussion. And these are just some areas that uh, a lot of people misunderstand when it comes to uh, the golf swing itself. And the first one I'm going to give you, J.H., is this one, is a lot of golfers run into this scenario where their knees are bent too much at address. Uh, 
Uh, and you know, one of the problems, of course, bending your knees excessively at address is definitely a golf swing uh, killer. We've all heard that uh, sort of a, uh, explanation over the years in, in golf instructions. Sitting down as though you were sitting on a bar stool, which is, was typically, again, sort of one of the traditional pieces of advice uh, that we've all at some stage. Um, but uh, in today's modern instruction uh, is not necessarily the case. So um, bending the, the knees uh, a lot of times creates a problem if they're bent too much. Uh, you feel more, again, like you're sitting, but it often puts you back on your heels, which is a problem. So, uh, J.H., talk a little bit about that, some of the problems it creates, and what people should actually be feeling, what, what part the knees sort of play in, in uh, the golf swing, and what would be the proper amount of, of bending or flex in the knees. Great question about setup, Ted. Thanks again for be, letting me be a part of the show, John. Looking forward to a lively discussion, as always. Let's talk about this from a setup standpoint of view and a setup standpoint of view alone. Most amateur golfers, uh, ones that are average handicaps, do not have flexibility in their hamstrings and their glutes to be able to maintain that throughout the swing. So when years ago they'd say set up as if you're on a bar stool, what they were really trying to do is get you to set up to replicate where you should be at impact. And if you look at the, the modern swing of all the professional golfers, male, female, at impact, they do tend to be looking like they're just about to squat down on a bar stool. But what you have to understand is they didn't start that low with that much knee bend. They're actually flexing their knees as they leverage the ground to create their downswing. Where are they starting in their setup? probably a little bit taller, what I call bounce in their knees. And I think what most people do is try to overflex their knees to, to do that. It's, it's not bad advice so much as is it advice to get set up or is it advice to be at impact. And I would state the latter. You, you want to have some knee bend at impact because that means you're going to leverage the ground. To be able to do that, think opposite. Starting low, most likely as an average handicap amateur, you're popping up. Your knees are not as bent as where they started. So why not start a little taller? Allow your glutes and hamstrings, which are not in the greatest of shapes. We do a lot of sitting, me included. I'm guilty of it. We just don't do enough to keep our glutes and hammies flexible enough to maintain that. Uh, real quick test, try to maintain that with a golf club in your hand Put a bar stool underneath you and see how long you can hold that position. It probably won't be too long before your glutes and hamstrings start burning. Stand up a little bit taller and create a little bit better balance between your toes and heels. I always prescribe 50-50. And what this is going to allow you to do on the way down is going to be able to bend the knees versus trying to bend the knees as you set up. Think opposite. It's going to work better for you. Yeah, I, I, well said, John. Um, you know, and a lot of things, too, that people don't realize, as I mentioned, you know, as you get into that, uh, what I call a sort of an overflexing of the knees, um, again, number one, it puts you back on your heels. And you, you quite often will see when people do try to swing, it uh, more often really flattens out the swing, number one. Uh, but a lot of times, because they can't get really into a proper weight shift, they tend to fall back on their their trail foot, in case of a right-handed golfer, of course, their right leg uh, and right foot. 
and uh, they don't transition from uh, a good loaded backswing into a good follow through because uh, they've got too much uh, knee flex. And, and I've always looked at it this way. And, and again, everybody sort of has a different way of looking at this, but I've always, you know, sort of equated um, sort of an unhinging of the knee. So a lot of times what I will say to students is I will have them uh, basically have their legs straight and then just sort of pop the knees. And, and what I mean by that is just unlock them so that they're not locked. So there's a slight flex, um, but not so much. And again, that tends to put you more to the uh, heel or the um, balls and the toes of your feet um, a little bit easier uh, doing it that way. But uh, great, uh, great uh, points that you, you brought up here, uh, uh, John. Um, JD, I'm going to move on to another area that uh, really uh, gets a lot of people. We, again, it kind of goes back to what we've been taught and told over uh, the years in instruction sometimes and uh, not always uh, sometimes uh, the best advice or, or people take things sometimes too literally. Uh, but straight arms at address, uh, a tip that has perhaps uh, the most pervasive in, in, in golf instruction, keeping that left arm straight, we've heard. Uh, and, uh, you know, a lot of students fall into that trap as well. They lock those arms, and it creates a myriad of, of problems. So talk a little bit about that. How should your arms really be? How should they be? Should there be a little flex in them? Uh, we don't want to lock them. What do we need to do? And what happens when we do lock the arms? What problems uh, might arise from that? Well, first of all, Ted, thank you again for having me on the show. And, John, as always, I enjoy being on with you as well. Um, this is a great, a great question, Ted. Um, typically, when when I look at someone's arms at setup, um, and and they and a student locks their arms, the first thing that I notice is tension. Um, you know, t if you're if you're squeezing the club, you know, when you have a really tight grip on the club, uh, that's going to tend to tense up your forearms, which you don't want your forearms and you don't want your elbows to be stiff and locked like you're holding a a weight or something, because then then they can't swing. You want your arms to be able to to, to move in the swing because as you turn your back and shoulders, the arms need to be able to have some movement to them so that they're, you know, starting to accelerate. So when I look at someone's, uh, their left arm versus the right, for the right-handed golfer, a lot of times when I stand behind them, I want to see their left arm. I want to be able to see the, like the inside, like where the elbow is on the opposite side of the elbow where the, the little crease is in your arm. I want to be able to see that. And that means their right elbow should have a slight bend to it. And if the student locks both arms, what happens is, is because of where their right hand is, think about where your right hand is on the grip, it's much lower. So if I straighten that arm up, it opens my shoulder. So anytime someone's arms are really stiff uh, at, at uh, setup, their shoulders open up. Now you're talking about a, a, a prerequisite for a slice and or a pull you're going to hit one of the two and so it's very important that you get that left arm so that when you're standing behind the student and if you look at a really good player and you're standing behind them uh, you should be able to see the inside of their left arm and their right arm should have a, a, a slight bend to it so i'm always working on a lot of times and this is very difficult to explain over the phone but a lot of times i'll come up and i'll put the club between their arms and i'll pull down so that their right arm gets lower. I want their right, their right shoulder to be low, and I want their right elbow to be, have a little bend to it so that I, it's not going to be straight. I do not want their right arm straight. Now, the left arm, uh, I don't like to think of the word straight because, you know, God gave us an elbow for a reason. Uh, I like to see it extended. So I like to see the left arm extended. I think if you look at 
Bryson DeChambeau, he does it to an extent, but he, he isolates his arms a little more than the average tour player, very much like a Mo Norman style. But, but again, he has his arms, you know, in that extended position. But I guarantee you he's, he's able to swing the club because you can't hit the ball as far as he does without, you know, not having – you can't have tension when you do that. So um, it's very important, though, that you start out by looking at a student's – you know, a lot of times I'll come up and I'll grab their forearms to feel their tension. I'll say, you know, you're really squeezing the club tight. That's going to lead to a lot of those arms extending. That's going to lead to the shoulders opening up. And, and that's really uh, one of the most common reasons why people set up for a slice. Yeah, and anytime you introduce tension into the swing, um, regardless of whether it's you know locking your arms, um, and there are a lot of other causes as well, um, you're you're not you're not actually going to be able to swing the club. You've actually got to force movements in order to uh, execute a, a golf uh, swing. And when you start doing that, you're not actually transferring your weight properly. You're not getting a good tempo. And it's just a myriad of things. So, you know, you have to be very, very relaxed. And it's very, very difficult for a lot of, especially our, our uh, beginning golfers and that, that are not used to, um, you know, the setup and, and so forth. It feels very unnatural to them uh, early on. And uh, they, they tend to uh, lock things up a little bit more. And then when you're in that position, it's very, very difficult to, to do things. And another area, uh, JH, I'm going to move on. And this actually uh, is one of the results um, of, you know, locking those arms, and that is your shoulders tend to roll forward, uh, which, again, makes it a very uh, difficult uh, situation as well because what happens then is as your shoulders kind of roll over, uh, you know, it, it's almost if you, you know, as a golf professional, if you're looking at your student, it's almost like their neck disappears because they've rolled their shoulders over because they've got their arms locked straight, and now they can't really make a good rotation as either. Um, maybe talk about that as well. What can we do to, uh, again, in addition to unlocking the arms and not forcing them uh, in that position, but uh, the shoulders as well are very uh, important. Uh, we don't want to get them rolling forward. Maybe touch on that a little bit, uh, John. Sure. So what you're talking about is commonly referred to as a C-spine, or from, say, the mm -hmm. breastbone up, it's curved forward. Uh, there's a lot of reasons for that, not only super extended or super stiff arms. Uh, as you said, I'm going to go back to this probably a couple more times. I have a feeling tonight as you sit more in front of a computer, <laughs> you are rolling your shoulders forward. Um, if someone's doing a lot of bench press and you're a former football player, a former baseball player, that brings the shoulders forward as well. And what that ultimately leads to is not being able to keep the club on play. That's ultimately what it leads to. There is a restriction there from allowing full flexibility of your shoulder as well as your elbow to set the club at the top in a position where it can drop versus go forward. And so it's not a simple fix, unfortunately, because a lot of times biophysically you're just made that way due to all the other things you do off the golf course. Some of the things setup-wise which really work is if you can imagine yourself with your, your young lady or a young man and you've been given a doll at the age of four to seven, and in the back there's a drawstring, and if you pull that drawstring, it makes the doll talk. Well, what if you took your mm -hmm. shoulder blades and pinched them together to prevent that string from being pulled from behind your back? 
What that's actually doing is pulling your chest apart, pulling the shoulders back, and gives some relief to that C-spine. Not a whole lot, but it's enough most of the time to get you to set the club in a better position at the top of the swing. Combine that with more relaxed, more flowing arms. I like the word extension as John used. I actually think of extension from the shoulders all the way through the front arm. But if you can think of that string, that proverbial drawstring that makes the doll talk, and if you can take your scapula and try to pinch them together to prevent that string from being pulled, it's a really simple way to prevent or just reverse the C-spine as much as you biophysically can at the moment and give you an opportunity to keep that club on plane. Great. Uh, some great points, uh, John. Thank you for that. And you're, you're exactly right. And, you know, one of the other things, too, is there's a lot of great, um, you know, a lot of people suffer from that that sort of C posture, if you will. And, and especially as we get older and again, with our, our daily lives now, especially with so many people, uh, myself included, you get in front of that uh, computer laptop and, and you're kind of slumped over a lot of times when you're doing that. And then you get in, you know, up uh, at the golf course and you're now addressing it because you're used to being in that kind of a posture. Uh, again, as, as you pointed out, uh, John, some of the issues. And there's a lot of great exercise that you can do. And I, and I want to give a sort of a shameless plug here. Um, there's a great product on the market. In fact, I bought one. She was a guest uh, on our show, but um, a, a chiropractor uh, who came on um, the Women of Golf show that I do on Tuesdays. And she came out with a great product called the Posture Fit Bar. And it's actually a nine-pound bar with uh, some padding uh, a roller on it, and you actually place it uh, on, you know, across your back of your shoulders and on your neck. And the idea is it helps you with a variety of different exercises that she points out uh, to be able to sort of counteract that and help you get into a better posture. And she's worked a lot with golfers and has found uh, a lot of success. So if you Google after the show Posture Fit, and it's Posture and F-I-T uh, Bar, uh, her website will come up, and you can check it out there. And it's very, very reasonable. I got one. I've been using it. Uh, just to help my, uh, you know, posture, if you will, and I can tell you it does work very well. So you might want to check it out. It's uh, a great product, and uh, like I said, just Google uh, posture fit. Uh, JD, another area that uh, uh, a lot of our, our golfers, um, you know, I'm a firm believer that you know everybody's different, uh, different grips and different, uh, you know, so on and so forth. But one area that really stymies a lot of people is the grip. And there are some that have an excessively strong grip. Uh, there's certainly some PGA Tour pros that uh, have a, 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 more, a stronger grip and have been able to work with it, but it's through hours and hours of, of uh, training and so forth. Um, but there's a lot of problems that can happen with having too strong of a, a grip, uh, especially with uh, your low lofted clubs like your driver and stuff. It tends to shut them down, fairway woods uh, uh, and so forth, and even a lot of your irons. And it really limits the range of shots that you can have because you end up having uh, that face shut down so much. Talk a little bit about that, some of the uh, problems in addition to what I've just talked about. And when you're faced with a student that may have an excessively strong grip, how do you sort of back them out of that? Um, because obviously for a while, they're going to feel a little bit uncomfortable. It's not going to feel natural and normal for them. Uh, JD, that's for you. Well, that's a, that's a very common uh, mistake that we see a lot, you know, as teaching professionals, um, and, and what a, a really strong grip is going to do, especially if it's in the right hand, 
Um, you know, I don't mind the left hand being stronger, but when you start getting that right hand way underneath, uh, I see students who can hit their wedges a long way because they're essentially shut, they're turning their pitching wedge into a seven or eight iron and they can't get their three wood and they can't get their five iron and they can't get their driver off the ground. And if they do, it's a block to the right um, because, uh, and they're, they're very poor out of the bunkers. They're very poor pitching because it's just not a conducive for a high soft shot. So one of the things that I do is, um, you know, is I look at someone who has a stronger grip and, and depending on what type of player they are, um, if, if, it's, if it's not too excessive, um, you can work, you know, and they're, and they're a better player. Um, you know, guys who have stronger grips like a Fred Cup or Ted Treva, when I used to be at Grand Cypress, I'd worked a lot with him or, or played some with him and would hit balls with him a lot. And he has a really strong grip. And guys who have stronger grips, they have to cut the ball. If they try to – you cannot be a good player with a strong grip and draw the ball. You must play a cut. So guys like that are going to try to release it a little bit more underneath where their right hand is almost making a scooping motion if you can visualize, if you go to to an ice cream parlor and they're scooping the ice cream out of the ice cream, that, that right hand is kind of making that type of motion, and that's how they release it, very much like Paul Azinger. I used to watch him take lessons, and he would, mm-hmm. uh, you know, when he was working with Phil Rogers, it was always knuckles to the sky. Well, for a tour player or somebody like that who has a, who has a, a strong grip and they play that way, they're going to be faders of the ball. But for your average golfer, they're going to need to make a grip change. Um, and so typically, um, you know, assuming their ball position and everything is correct, because a lot of times guys with stronger grips tend to play the ball back in their stance. You know, once I've made that adjustment to get that right hand more on top, a lot of times what I'll do is, is I'll say, all right, hold the club with just your left hand. And then I'll take a T and then I'll uh, put the T on top of their thumb that's on the club. And then I tell them to get mm-hmm. their right pad of their right hand on top of that T and hold that T and then I have them hit the ball because their right hand is so far underneath that they have to, they feel like they're excessively moving it. And when I have them do this, I always tell them, you need to do this from the wrist. This is not from the elbows and the shoulders. You know, a lot of times when they do that, they try to turn their whole arm. It's just, you know, from the wrist. And it's a very difficult thing to do. And when I have them start out with the grip change, if they're going from a strong grip, I always do it in the short game first. Uh, don't try to do it with the driver first. You need to do this with pitching and, and, and learn to do it on the smaller shots so that you're not making these big full swings and, and because it's going to feel horrible to you when you make a grip change, no matter what you do, uh, no matter who you are. So um, it's, gonna, it's always nice to start out with some smaller shots and, and then kind of work, you know, get a comfortable with it. And then as they get comfortable with it, I say, now just do this with the driver. And so you have to teach mm-hmm. them to release it differently. Uh, when, once they make this change because they're used to pulling the club and holding on. They have a really strong grip, and they're actually trying to open the face up because their sh- face is so shut that they're used to coming underneath and holding on and opening and creating the loft. Now you have to do the opposite of that, where you have to actually tell them, all right, now we're going to let the club head go now. We want it to pass the hands more so that we're not holding on as much. It's not something when you change that right-hand grip, uh, and from and, and it's really strong. It's not something that's going to be done in one lesson. It's something though that can be done. I've worked with a lot of students, but I always tell them this is going to be a three to five lesson uh, change. This is not going to happen, you know, overnight. So it's a start out with some small shots first around the greens, bunker shots, pitch shots, 
uh, if you if you want to get your you know your right hand a little weaker, and then start working to the longer clubs later. Yeah, I think that's a great point, uh, John, because you know a lot of folks that fall into this trap. Uh, again, it's not a quick fix. Uh, it might seem very simple. You might think, you know, a lot of students say, well, you know, uh, or teachers might say, you know, you can just put your hand uh, in a, a little bit weaker position. But if you're used to having that uh, strong, especially the right hand, as you point out, it almost it gets into almost like a claw because uh, it gets so far underneath the uh, the grip. And it's almost like it's a type of a claw grip and, uh, you know, in reverse. But it's... Um, it's not conducive for hitting good shots. So you have to sort of, it's almost like weaning somebody off of something. You have to be sort of slow and gradual when you're doing it. And I think some of the drills that you point out are some great drills. And again, it's something that's going to happen over a few lessons. And more importantly, you have to, um, you know, not just do it while you're with your, your teaching professional or coach. Uh, these are things that you have to be working on some of these tips and drills that, that uh, you just pointed out, John, uh, in between sessions. So if you're, you know, uh, uh, having sessions every couple of weeks with your golf professional, you need to make sure that you set the time. And even if you can't get to the golf course uh, every time to, you know, hit those shots, uh, the one great thing about the grip is that's something you can work on at home. So once you get an idea of what the grip should look like and what it should feel like for you, you can be practicing that with a golf club at home and even in your backyard, just swinging the club and then obviously you know, when and wherever possible, get out there and, and hit some short shots and, and just some uh, easy shots to, to begin with as you transition uh, with that change. But uh, great, uh, great uh, answers, uh, John. Thank you. Um, JH, we're going to come back to you. And this is sort of follows into a, a little bit of what we've been talking about, but another area and a num- another common, uh, I guess, old age uh, piece of advice that we've often heard, and, and that is, you know, uh, keeping your head down. And a lot of times what happens is uh, the head gets buried into your chest. And as I sort of pointed out earlier, uh, it impedes your ability to, to get a good rotation uh, in your backswing or your follow through. So, uh, again, um, for some reason, you know, we've all heard this, keep your head down. Um, what's the truth behind this, John? What's uh, J.H. rather is what's the, 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 I guess, the cons that happen with doing that, what some of the problems that arise and what should golfers really be doing? Well, I'm going to throw a bunch of other phrases in there. Keep your head down. Watch the ball. Keep your head still. There's there's a lot of the same phrase that basically when you get this free advice from your fellow friend, fellow golf mm-hmm. friend, uh, they mean well by it. In their heart of hearts, they're trying to help you out. But what they don't realize is it's almost virtually impossible to do all that when you study film of the greatest players of the most, what you, anybody would call the most solid, the most stable players, their heads still move. Uh, look at Nicholas. Look at uh, anybody that you can think of. Their heads tend to move from setup through impact. And it's not uncommon to see, say, a baseball player making a swing where the head starts in one position and moves to another position by the time the barrel of the bat makes contact with a baseball or a tennis player or even a hockey player. When you're talking about a moving weapon, such as a golf club trying to make contact with the objective, it was in this case the golf ball. What does happen, the really good hitters, tennis players, slap shot artists, the really good golfers, their heads tend to move slightly behind the golf ball. 
has a lot to do with setup. It has a lot to do with weight transfer. Totally different subject matters that we can talk about for days. But I think one of the things that you can take from all these other sports is something very simple, and it will help in a lot of other ways. All these other sports I've talked about, you're trying to react to the object, the ball, the puck, moving. And because of that, you're not paying attention to the weapon you have in your hand. You're just trusting that it's going to make impact. What are you watching? You're watching the ball. So when someone says, keep your head down, keep it still, uh, all these other things, I think, number one, you're correct, Ted. It can tie up your neck. It can tie up your shoulder turn. It can create some stiffness and tension within the swing. But I think if you go in with a little bit better posture, straighten out that C-spine, that's initially going to bring the neck and head upward. Can you look a little bit more down your eyes, down your face, to see the ball? And then as you're making the swing, pretend it's moving. It's the moving object, and you've got to keep your eye on the ball. When I did this as an amateur right out of college picking up the game, it made such a difference in my game because I was always into this reactionary sports where it didn't matter what it was, but it was something that I was always taught. It's something that organically you want to go to as a human anyway. We're, we're always, mm-hmm. at least I'm not sure about you or John, but I'm constantly hearing from clients what they're thinking about during the swing. And then as soon as I can say, take a magic marker or, or take the, uh, the uh, range ball and put the marker up and say, how about looking just at the logo or look at this dot and let's not think about your swing. And I want you to pretend the ball's moving. This will in turn allow your head to move a little bit more freely as it should throughout the swing. It will keep it more stable in essence. You'll see very little lateral sway. You'll see very little vertical up and down as well. When you try to do these other things, you get so stiff, lateral or vertical movement of your head in an excessive way, it's, it's almost a given that's going to happen. So in, instead of thinking of all those with your, which are truly myths, think of what's most important. Where is that object? Make that ball move in your mind. You'll be very surprised how much more stable you become as you swing. Great point. And, you know, it really goes back to, to what we talked about a little while ago uh, about, you know, your knee flex. Um, you know, a lot of times this, it all sort of works together. And this is where, you know, your setup is extremely important because once one part of your setup is wrong, it can affect other areas. And, you know, one of the common things that I see, particularly with somebody that's sort of got that sitting down posture, if you will, often what happens is because they're sitting down and now their weight is predominantly back towards their heels, a lot of times their tilt, their upper body tilt, is not as pronounced as it should be. So again, because they're not tilting forward as much as maybe they might need to be, uh, they compensate by burying their head down into their chin, uh, or chest rather, so that they're able to see the ball a little bit easier. And then again, that creates all kinds of problems that, that you talked about, John. Um, and, and, you know, so... We can't emphasize enough, and I know we, we talk about this a lot on the show over over the years about posture and setup and things like that. But you know, when you look at some of the greatest players, when you look at Jack Nicholas and he and he put together uh, his video uh, Golf My Way, you know, one of the key things he talked about was working on the fundamentals. 
of you know uh, posture and ball position and and the grip and things like that. And the reason why he did that was because if he knew he had those things in check, then he was going to be all right. He didn't sit there and worry about, well, I need to take the, the club back this much or I need to do that. He just swung the club. But having all of those components put together in their proper sequence and having them put together correctly, um, he knew he was going to be able to execute the shots that he needed to. And then it all became about core strategy, how he handled himself in the golf course. Because he knew when he went there, he knew that he had a good swing to work with, he had a good grip to work with, and so on and so forth. So this is why we really emphasize on a lot of those things. So uh, great points, guys, that you've, you've made so far. And I want to kind of move on a, a little bit and, and get into some other areas. And it really goes to, to the point of, you know, what is a quality golf swing? How do we sort of build it from, you know, top to bottom, as it were? And, J.D., one of the other areas is, you know, obviously the, the, the chin up, if you will, rather than the head down uh, is a, maybe a better way to, to put it. But rotation is, is key. This is something we touched on a little bit with your shoulders. Uh, there's a reason it's called a shoulder turn. Uh, you know, you're supposed to rotate uh, your shoulders away from the target on the back swing and towards the target in the downswing. Uh, it's not called a shoulder slide, um, you know, because you're not trying to uh, laterally slide your body either way. Uh, it's actually a turn. Maybe you can talk a little bit about rotation um, as far as your shoulders, what what role they play, and how do we turn them properly as opposed to just sort of sliding our body uh, to the right uh, in the backswing and conversely to the left uh, in our downswing. And that's for you, J.D. Okay, Ted, this is probably one of the things that I spend the most time on. If I were to say the number one thing I have to work on with all of my students is how you initiate your golf swing. And, um, you know, uh, my mentor, Fred Griffin, uh, you know, I learned from him many years ago. And he, he used to always say that there's two vulnerable times in a golf swing. One is at the start and the other is in your transition. And there's a simple reason, and that's because the club is slowing down. And in the starting position, the club is not moving at all. And so you have to start the club properly. And you're, a good golf swing starts in the middle of your back and like we're – in the the uh, like John was saying, like if you're pulling the string back, like the the doll he was talking about, right? If you can visualize where that would be, right in between your shoulder blades, that's where your your backswing starts. And what I want my students to have is I want them to have a powerful golf swing, not a quick golf swing. So to create power, we have to get the big muscles moving first. And once those big muscles start moving in the back and shoulders it's kind of like a slow freight train getting going but once it gets going buddy it's going once you get the back and shoulders moving now guess what's going to move the arms once the arms start moving well the club has to move because the club you're holding the club and so as the club starts moving then the wrist move that's called the kinetic chain and that is the the sequence body swings the arms the arms swing the club and the club moves the wrist and when i hear people talk about presetting the club and and setting the club, that's not the way you swing a golf club. Uh, the, the wrist hinge occurs because of momentum. And you have mm-hmm. some wrist hinge. When you, if, you, if I hit a 40- or 50-foot putt, I have some wrist hinge. If I hit a driver, I have some wrist hinge. But the wrist hinge is occurring because I'm using the big muscles to swing the club, and then the momentum of a 45-inch club or mo- the momentum of a 34-inch club are going to be different. And the 45-inch club is going to create uh, more wrist hinge and is going to create uh, a longer swing. Uh, the momentum of a 34-inch a club, which would be your putter, 
or 35 or whatever you have is going to produce less momentum, is going to produce less hinge, and but you're still using the big muscles to do this. And the other thing that I look at is not only the shoulder starting the swing, but how you set the shoulders at setup. When you set up to the golf ball, if you're right-handed, your left hand is higher on the club than your right hand. So that means your right shoulder needs mm-hmm. to be lower than your left shoulder. And the second thing that I look at is making sure that the head is behind the ball. I don't want the head to be on the ball or in front of the ball. I want the head to be a little bit behind the ball. Just um, So there's a slight tilt. So there's many bends in, in the setup. You have the bend in the knees, the bend in the hips, the sh- tilt of the shoulders. And if you get any of those little things off, uh, then you're going to, it's going to affect your golf swing. And imagine out on the golf course when you have all these different uneven lies, how difficult it can be. So it's very important to learn how to you know, start your golf swing. Now, here's a simple tip for all the listeners out there is to get a medicine ball. I'm actually going to do this for the magazine. To, but to take, a, take a, a small ball. It could be a two-pound ball or it could be a little soccer ball. And, and take a seven or eight iron out on the golf course or the driving range and, and put the club down behind the ball and then set that ball behind the, your club and then just push the ball back with, with your back and shoulders and then come through and hit your shot. What you're doing is you're using the resistance of the ball or you can use a, a two-by-four. You're using that resistance to force your big muscles to activate. It takes away the hands because the most common mistake – that, that I'm sure John sees this and I see this all the time, is students start their golf swing with their small muscles. They either start it with their hands or they start it with their arms. They either roll it back, they flip it back, they do something that where they don't activate their big muscles and they won't use their big muscles on that shoulder turn until they get later in the swing. And that messes up that kinetic chain I was talking about. So, uh, you know, that's a very critical part of the swing, getting it started and it's why when I'm really swinging well and I start it back, as soon as I start it back, I know I'm going to hit a good shot. But if I'm not swinging well, I don't get that sequence started correctly. It's almost like immediately I know I'm going to hit a poor shot. So working on that start of your golf swing, if you can learn to, to master that, you're going to uh, you know, really improve. And I, I don't think I've ever seen anybody do it better than Jack Nicklaus. I think Jack Nicklaus is, is um, that low, slow takeaway that he talked about. He used his back and shoulders mm-hmm. as well as anybody I've ever seen. And, you know, pound for pound and for his era, there's not been anybody that's really hit the ball that's on the PGA Tour. I'm not talking about the long drive guys that's hit the ball as far as him. And he did it because he had that sequence down better, you know, just to a T. It was it was ingrained in his DNA and, and uh, worked a lot of years to develop it. But um, that's a great one to model. If you watch his takeaway, that's a great way to, to visualize what I just talked about. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. And he – you know, when you looked at that particular um, Golf My Way video, um, one of the interesting things was he he actually hit um, in slow motion. They showed him hitting a variety of different clubs, and they all were the same swing. That was the interesting thing about it as well, as every swing was exactly the same with every club. Obviously, some were a little bit longer as the clubs got longer up to the driver, but essentially the tempo and the timing and everything of the swing was exactly the same, and he took that slow moving takeaway in his backswing exactly the same with every club, whether it was a short iron, a wedge, or what have you, right up to his driver. So um, you're exactly right. And there's also another area, too, um, quite often that, uh, excuse me, that people underestimate, and that is 
uh, with the shoulder turn, and that is, um, you know, taking enough time. One of the key things to understand about that shoulder turn is that it takes time. Uh, quite often, we see a lot of uh, golfers, they, they rush through their swing and they expect to make a great shoulder turn. Uh, they kind of snatch that club away and uh, they kind of force that. And again, it puts them out of sequence. So uh, that sort of low and, and slow takeaway, I think, is a, is a great model. And, and obviously, everybody's different. I understand that. Uh, we all have different tempo and timing uh, in our, our body rhythms. Um, but uh, you can kind of use that as a guide to work with. Um, JH, uh, another key area when we're we're talking about working that upper body now. Um, it doesn't matter whether you get a good shoulder turn or not uh, if you don't have good lower body stability. Um, and again, you know, in order to get into that good upper body turn with the shoulders and so forth, you've got to have a good base uh, and, and lower body uh, has to be good and stable uh, in order to be uh, help the overall swing uh, be functional. Touch on that a little bit as well. How do we work the the lower body now in conjunction with their upper body to make sure that we're offering the right stable base in order to make those good shoulder turns. Well, as, as John point, we put it, the kinetic sequence is basically from the ground up uh, in order for that mm-hmm. shoulder turn to work in order for the, the, the transition to work correctly. That lower body has got to be in a position to set up, and throughout the swing, you mentioned the word stable is one. Mm. Stable, what does that mean? Uh, preventing lateral movement. When you're swaying back to bring the club back, that's not stable. When you're swaying past your ball position on the way down and the way through the ball, that's not good. What we're looking for is stabilization that way. We're also looking for stabilization if the common word for it now is early release, meaning your pelvis is moving forward. So we're looking for 360 degree stability of that lower body. It starts with some really good balance in your feet. We talked about knee bend before. As a club's moving back, John, I use the two by four drill all the time with people who have that issue, but I'm always making sure that their feet, their lower body's in a position to create that resistance. When that happens, what you'll find is the back hip for the right hand or the right hip doesn't flare open as quickly. Uh, it, it creates a resistance, per se, to start coiling the upper body against the lower. Now, does that right hip open up a little bit? Sure. It has to for you to be able to be flexible enough to get the club to the top. But it doesn't mean it's going to sway outside your feet. It doesn't mean it's going to laterally move backwards to your heels or forward to your toes. So when we're talking about stabilization, that's that's my definition of it. The lower body's mm-hmm. also got to be flexible enough and powerful enough. What do I mean by that? We talked about the knees earlier. That's part of the flexibility. The flexibility and and the looseness of your quads, your hamstrings, your hip flexors, and your glutes is essential for this to be able to work properly, for that kinetic sequence to fire the way it should, not only on the way back, but most importantly on the way down. Not only with flexibility, power. When you've got a little bit of flexibility and you've got some stabilization, you've now created some power in that lower body to unhinge the coil, to release the coil that you've created, very much like the old balsa wood planes with the rubber band. You sit there and turn and turn and turn that prop 
so you can twist that rubber band. And as the rubber band starts doubling up on itself, that's basically what your upper body's doing against your lower body. Your lower body's not stable enough, not flexible enough. It can't hold that rubber band, that turn, that torque the way you'd like. But how does that how does that prop work? Well, in most cases, we're letting the prop go. In golf, it's actually we're trying to hold that prop. We're trying to hold that top of the swing with the upper body so the lower body can start the down swing. So that power you've created can actually push into the ground, use the ground to stabilize yourself. It could transfer the energy from the feet through the legs, legs to the pelvis, pelvis to the upper body, upper body to the arms, arms to the club. Without stabilization, without some flexibility, the power's not there. You're basically just trying to create all the power you can from the upper body. There's some people who can really do it well, but most of the time they have a timing issue with that. The kinetic sequence Mm -hmm. allows for timing to work more organically. It's more consistent. Think of it as a train. Would you ever push a train with the caboose? The answer is no. The caboose is the lightest part. Think of that as your hands. What's the heaviest part of you? It, it, it's from the belt down. And if you can get that stable, flexible enough, the power sequence will take care of itself. Great answer, uh, John. Uh, and, and you're exactly right. You know, it, the golf swing really is, a, I think, a lot easier than sometimes we make it out to be um, because it is a natural body um, movements the movements that are involved in the swing are actually natural your body turns in certain ways um but i think more often than not people force these different positions and force these different um parts of the golf swing to a point where now they they fall out of a natural sequence and they become in you know unnatural and uh i think that's a lot of times what what caused the problem so i think working on a lot of the different fundamentals um, that we've talked about over the years on the show and, and some of the things that we've talked about here tonight. I think if you put them in their proper sequence and if you do them in the right uh, manner, you're going to find uh, that the golf swing really isn't as difficult as a lot of people feel it is. Does it take practice? Does it take uh, uh, effort and so forth? Of course it does. Anything does. Anything that you want to uh, get better at, you've got to work at it. But things can be a lot easier. And, and J.D., I'm going to give this last one to you uh, as we get ready to, to wrap up here. Uh, and again, this all sort of uh, you know, even though we've talked a little bit about lower body, we really kind of focus on the upper body here. And this is um, sort of starts out with really there's no perfect length. You know, a lot of golfers obsess uh, about the length of their shoulder turn. You know, we see uh, somebody like a John Daly as an example who uh, can get a tremendous amount of uh, shoulder turn and gets that club going way, way back. We see people, uh, you know, that they're going well beyond 90 degree shoulder turn. And again, I think people need to know their limitations. So, how do we find, John, I guess the best way to put this question is, how do we find what's the best length for us, for our swing? Because they're all different. Well, I, I'm a big believer that no matter what your age, no matter what your flexibility, um, you know, I've, I've heard of research where they, you know, people who are bedridden and, and uh, elderly are able to gain muscle mass by doing weightlifting, you know, in their bed every day. They're able to increase their muscle mass in their arms by doing that every day. So I do believe that if you are, um, you know, because the average person that I teach 
is not as flexible, is not as strong as a tour player. And so the first thing that I would tell you to do is get the, um, the, the orange whip, I believe, is absolutely a necessity for everyone out there. Something along those lines, swinging a weighted club will help you with the, the improvement, uh, you know, with the length of your swing, because you're exactly right. The majority of people don't make enough backswing or enough shoulder turn. They may make enough backswing, but they don't turn their shoulders enough. And so uh, a lot of the times it is flexibility issues. Sometimes it's technique issues. But as far as the, the, you know, the link, the main thing that I look at is I don't get wrapped up in, well, the left shoulder goes under the chin. You have two shoulders. You need to be moving them both as a unit. You can't just worry about one or the other. The key thing is when you move the shoulders. That's the key thing because I have so many students who take the club back with their hands in their arms and they get the club about waist high and then they turn their shoulders. Well, they've messed up that whole sequence that John was just talking about and I was talking about earlier. The, the back and shoulders need to start moving immediately. So by the time my left arm is parallel to the ground, I would say about 80% of my shoulder turn is over. The last bit of my shoulder turn is as the weight of the club is going over my right shoulder, it's going to produce that late, that very last little, uh, the sequence where your shoulders are still moving back and your lower body is moving forward. And that's called, you'll hear teachers call it the X factor. You'll, I call it separation. That's what Dustin Johnson does so well. That's why he hits it so far. He has a tremendous amount of separation where his shoulders keep moving back as his lower body moves towards the target. Keep in mind, he's a world-class athlete um, who's in fantastic shape. So you've got to not, you know, I don't ever expect to have that kind of separation in my swing, but I know that for me to feel that separation, I have to activate my back and shoulders early in this swing. So to me, it's not about how much shoulder turn. Obviously, I want someone with a longer club like a driver to be able to make a 90-degree shoulder turn. That would be ideal. But to me, it's more about getting the shoulders activated early and then giving my students proper exercises and proper stretching, um, you know, ways to stretch properly and safely so that they can improve. Because I don't care how old you are. I don't care uh, unless you have a medical condition that is, you know, where you're requiring surgery or something like that. But as long as you're not in that kind of situation, there's no reason why you can't improve your shoulder turn if you're willing to put in the work outside of the lesson you know, you're willing to, you know, do a workout, add it into your workout routine. And if you do that, you know, and you get, you know, you get like TPI, you go to someone who's TPI certified. If the average person were to go to someone that's TPI certified and go through a couple of sessions with them, they're going to improve. They're going to gain distance um, just by doing that. Uh, it, they can't help but gain distance because it's going to really improve your flexibility. And it makes you realize how how much balance and how much flexibility and coordination is in golf. Uh, it's more than just technique. Those balance and coordination and flexibility are critical. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more and, and well said, John. Um, you know, and, and for those of you that are not familiar with TPI, that's the Titleist Performance Institute. Uh, they've got a great program that talks about these various areas that John just pointed out. And uh, it, 
it's really a, a great program. I know there's a lot of uh, professionals out there that are uh, certified in, in various levels of, of TPI certification. So uh, definitely you want to search somebody out that if that's an area that you're struggling with particularly. Um, but it, it goes down to this. And, you know, I think the mis- big misnomer in, in golf is that you have to be in fantastic shape to be uh, a great golfer. If we look at comparing uh, golfers in Nicholas uh, era and Palmer and, and some of the greats of the game compared to some of the young guns that we see out there today and even uh, a little bit older, like now, uh, you know, Tiger's getting into that age in his 40s now. Um, you know, they didn't have fitness trainers uh, and, and trailers and so forth at PGA events. Uh, certainly they were in good shape for, the, for their time, but uh, physical fitness has become uh, even uh, more prominent on all of the tours now. Uh, especially the PGA and the LPGA Tour with some of the younger players. Uh, and so as a result, that's why they're able to utilize so much power uh, in their golf swings because they've, they've just been able to really work on key areas of their bodies in order to uh, enhance them and, and make them uh, even stronger and, and able to execute uh, the golf swing with, with that much more, more power. But um, uh, great discussion tonight, guys. Uh, I think we touched on some areas that – you know, a lot of people still are unsure of, kind of uh, flounder a little bit. They've heard a lot of things over the years through their instruction. And, and it's not to suggest that what they were hearing was, was not right or incorrect, but I think sometimes uh, gets lost in the translation, I guess, and a lot of people misunderstand uh, the meaning bef- behind that. And I think as we've developed as instructors over the years, we've gotten a little bit better uh, at explaining uh, some of the methodology, and we found new ways too to to get the same message or, or new messages across uh, a little bit more uh, effective and with more efficiency. So, um, hope this helped to everybody that tuning in tonight uh, with a little bit of uh, of this area, especially with your uh, shoulder turns and uh, and so forth. Hopefully, that uh, helped to uh, give you a little bit of uh, information to to make your uh, your swing a little bit tighter. Um, guys, as always, I want to give you a chance. Uh, thank you very much for. Uh, coming on the uh, the Coach's Corner panel tonight. I think it was a great discussion, and I want to give each of you a few moments to uh, uh, to let the uh, folks know how they can uh, get in touch with you, and if there's anything specific that you want to plug, uh, by all means, go ahead. And John Hughes, I'm going to start with you. Sure. Again, thanks, Ted. Always a pleasure to be part of the podcast. Always look forward to this uh, second Tuesday. And John, Another great discussion. Always great to hear the things that Fred taught you, the things I've heard from Fred over the years. It's a good remembrance of that. Uh, like I tell everybody, it's johnhughesgolf.com. Put a ampersand in front of it, a hashtag, wh- whatever it happens to be, and that's how you can find me either on the Internet or on social media. As far as things coming up forward, I'm working on a couple of big projects at the moment. I'm probably going to be able to announce those at least part of it in October, really excited about the future of uh, these particular projects. And the only thing I'd throw out that if you want to see something in golf tips uh, in the coming year, uh, maybe a a focus point of your game that hasn't been covered in the magazine recently, by all means reach out Mm -hmm. to me. I'd be more than happy to put something together and get it back, get it in the magazine for next year. This is the time of year that I'm taking care of that business, getting the articles written, the images done, and more than happy to try to help out those people that way. Great. Uh, Thank you, as always, John, and I appreciate having you uh, for all of these years, not only uh, here on the panel, uh, your expertise and and, uh, great uh, uh, points of view, but uh, always uh, love having you as a guest as well. And uh, John Decker, uh, how can the folks reach out to you? 
Well, thanks again, Ted, for having me on the show. And, John, as always, I enjoyed working with you, and I enjoy your articles in the, the magazine, Golf Tips Magazine, as well. Um, I'm in the Columbus, Ohio area. If you uh, would like to set up a lesson with me, you can um, you can reach out to me um, uh, through social media under John Decker Golf Instruction, and I spell my first name J-O-N, John Decker Golf Instruction. I'm on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, YouTube, and LinkedIn. I also do online instruction. So if if you're if you're not in the Columbus, Ohio area, and you want to uh, do some online instruction, feel free to to reach out to me. Um, like we mentioned earlier, I, d- I do uh, write with Golf Tips Magazine, and so um, I've been very thankful to do that. And my, um, you can follow me uh, with my Fairways to Heaven, and also my instructional articles and and some of the videos that I do for the for the website as well. And my book, Golf Is My Life: Glorifying God Through the Game, you can uh, purchase on Amazon, Barnes and Noble, or Walmart.com. Um, and I'm always available for speaking engagements, uh, book signings. Um, if you, uh, you know, if you're interested in doing that, um, uh, doing motivational speaking, corporate speaking, corporate clinics, anything along those lines, uh, I do have the flexibility to travel to different parts of the country. And if you want to reach out to me on social media, I'd be glad to do that. But again, thank you, Ted, for all that you do, uh, for giving us a platform to, uh, to be with the listeners out there. And I hope everyone, uh, is safe and, uh, has a great, uh, end of the year. Perfect. Well, as always, guys, thank you, and and uh, you know, I uh, the show and 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 all of the other components, uh, the magazine now, and uh, certainly would not uh, enjoy the success it does uh, without great uh, fellow professionals like yourself coming on board. And I appreciate uh, all that you do very much, and and I, I try to help in any way that I can to showcase the many talented people, uh, men and women, in the golf uh, business. Uh, uh, express uh, their thoughts and viewpoints and, and share some great tips and, and, uh, and help build, uh, I think, a, a better and, and, and more enjoyable game uh, for the many uh, uh, aspiring golfers and, and uh, professionals out there that just want to get out there and, and have some fun in the golf course. So we hope we're able to do that through these various different mediums. So thanks as always, guys, and I look forward to um, speaking with uh, both of you real soon. And uh, thanks again. I look forward to the next time here in Coach's Corner. Thanks, Ted. Enjoy your evening. Thanks, Ted. All right. Thanks, guys. All right. That was uh, the two Johns, as I put it, John Hughes and John Decker, both uh, PJ professionals. Uh, John Hughes, a PJ master professional, and uh, both uh, on staff with uh, Golf Tips Magazine, uh, both as senior editors and also part of the top 25 instructional staff. Always happy to have them on board. And uh, for those of you that uh, aren't subscribers to the magazine, uh, there's some great stuff in there. In addition, some great tips. There's some great articles, as mentioned, and you might want to check it out. Go to Golf Tips Mag. That's GolfTipsMag.com, and you can sc- subscribe there. Uh, you can either get the uh, print edition. There's six issues uh, uh, for the season. Uh, you can get just the print only, or you can get the print and digital version as well. Uh, both options are there, and I will be bringing out a digital-only version uh, here shortly, so I'll announce that when it's uh, completely available for those that you just prefer the digital version. But in in the time being, uh, you can get a copy of the uh, uh, magazine as well if you're not ready to subscribe or you want to know where you can reach it. You can go out to most newsstands. Some notables are uh, Barnes & Noble uh, stores are carrying Golf Tips magazine and also uh, Books A Million. 
uh, is one of the other major chains across uh, the United States uh, that carries it as well. It's also available up in Canada and uh, is available overseas as well. Uh, if you want to, um, not in newsstands, but if you want to subscribe, uh, we can ship the magazine to you overseas. We do have a number of uh, folks that uh, are subscribers to Golf Tips Magazine. So again, go to golftipsmag.com to get a copy, uh, a subscription rather, and uh, you can just subscribe right online. And it's real easy, real simple, and you'll uh, start getting uh, some great issues uh, coming up. And we're getting ready to put the final issue of the season uh, together here in the next uh, couple of weeks. So really excited about that. And then we'll be working towards the 2021 uh, Golf Tips magazine season, uh, getting some great new articles. So we definitely want to hear from you. Uh, you can go onto the website and you can reach out uh, through the customer service, or you can even reach out to me. My email address is there as well. I uh, happen to be the owner and publisher and editor of Golf Tips magazine. So if you want to reach out, if you've got some ideas, or maybe you'd like to see some other areas that uh, haven't been touched uh, in the magazine for a little while or haven't been at all, we'd love to hear from you. So by all means, feel free to reach out. All right. As I mentioned, my uh, very special guest tonight is Bill Schmeeds. He is a PGA teach professional and one of the top uh, golf coaches here in the United States. He's also uh, the inventor and owner of impact press. Uh, let me just tell you a little bit about him and then we'll bring him on and we'll, uh, begins, uh, tonight's, uh, discussion with my very special guest. Uh, Bill was voted by Golf Digest as one of the best young teachers in America back in uh, 2016 to 2019. He is also recognized as one of the best teachers in New Jersey. Uh, Golf Tips Magazine named him to their top 30 instructor list. Uh, U.S. Kids has also named him a top 50 kids uh, coach, honorable mention in the USA, and Future Champions uh, Golf Award awarded him a top 25 elite junior coach uh, here in the U.S. as well as a master coach. Uh, he's also been featured in Golf Magazine, Golf Digest, and, of course, Golf Tips, as well as on the Golf Channel. And he has assisted uh, over 16 players on the PGA, LPGA, European, uh, Corn Ferry, and even the Symmetra Tours. Uh, he's uh, currently a full-time instructor and operates his teaching academy at both the Forsgate uh, uh, Country Club and the uh, Shaka Maxon Country Club in New Jersey. Uh, please welcome my very special guest, Bill Schmeeds. Good evening, Bill, and welcome hey, to Golf Talk Live. Let me, I'm doing very well. Bill, let me – not a problem. My pleasure. Let me just ask you, did I pronounce that? Is it Shaka Maxson? Yes, that, you did a great job. That's a tough one. That's, it, you're exactly right. <laughs> well, you know what? It's sometimes with some of those names that you get a little tongue-tied. So I, wanted, I didn't want to disrespect the club by uh, mispronouncing their name, but uh, – so let me just say first and foremost uh, about the show, because I know this is the first time you've been on here, uh, and, and hopefully not the last, but uh, we actually have the show has a really, really good following uh, from the New Jersey area. So there's a lot of golfers, a lot of people, a lot of folks up in the New Jersey area that obviously love this great game of golf, and we get a, a very strong showing uh, in our stats, if you will, for the program. So a shout-out to the great people up in New Jersey. Yeah, we've got a lot of them up here, and I'll tell you what, New Jersey doesn't get the credit that it, it probably deserves, but we have fantastic people, so that's good to hear. Oh, yeah. it's a, You know, you wouldn't think of it with, with the climate, uh, you know, because you obviously have, uh, uh, you know, some cold, some cold months up in New Jersey uh, that we're going to be getting into here before too long, and uh, you wouldn't think there would be, but uh, for some reason, I don't know what it is, but there's a very strong golfing community 
uh, in the New Jersey area. So, uh, again, a shout-out to you guys uh, up in that area. All right, before we get into talking about Impact Press, I always like to do this, especially with uh, new guests on the show, I like to give them an opportunity just to talk a little bit about themselves, um, you know, about what drew them to the game of golf, why they, you know, how they sort of first got interested in the game and more or less who, who introduced them to the game and what led them to where they are now as far as whether it be a teaching professional or a player, what sort of spurred that, that uh, initiative to get, uh, you know, more aggressively involved into the game. So let's, let's dial it way back and let's go to the, your recollection of when you first started uh, or first introduced this game. Uh, when was that approximately and who was it that introduced you to the game? Yeah, that's a great question, Ted. So as a kid, I played pretty much every sport underneath the sun. And uh, there came a time where we ended up moving from New Jersey to Cape Cod, Massachusetts. I was about 11 or 12 years old. We already had some family members up on Cape Cod. So my grandparents, aunts and uncles. And uh, when we moved up to the Cape, all of uh, my family members had played golf. So uh, obviously I continue to play all the sports, but my grandparents got me into uh, a couple beginner clinics when I was 11 or 12 years old when we first moved up there. And uh, from there, it, uh, everything happened pretty quickly. I, uh, I got the bug. I enjoyed it. I, I certainly enjoyed the um, difficulty of the game and trying to mm-hmm. continually improve. And after a couple of clinics, um, I started to uh, play a fair amount with my grandparents. They lived on the, well, at this time, because they redid the course, they lived on the uh, sixth hole of a club called Bass River Golf Course, which is in Yarmouth on Cape Cod, mm-hmm. for those that are listening from that area. Um, mm-hmm. And we would go out in the evening and play some golf. And obviously, I was, as a beginner, I didn't really quite know exactly what I was doing, but my grandparents <laughs> would teach me the etiquette of the game. And then I was obviously right. going to the clinics, and they were also giving me some pointers while I was out there. So that was my first uh, time that I, I was introduced to golf and playing golf. And as I continued to, to get older and get into high school, all the other sports that I played, they started to fall off. I, I just became so uh, enthusiastic with golf and getting better at golf that eventually, as I uh, was in my last couple of years of high school, it was pretty much just basketball and golf. And then as I uh, graduated high school, moved on to college, it was just golf. And uh, from there... I decided that I wanted to make a career out of it because I love the game and I loved helping people so much. And uh, once I heard that you could actually make a living doing golf or teaching golf or running facilities, uh, I was all in. So that's where it all began. <laughs> and from there, I was able to, uh, to spend time under some really important and special people that helped me kind of further my career uh, down the road, and uh, they've, they've helped me kind of get to where I am today. You know, it's interesting because I, I, you know, sort of followed a similar path. I mean, I was introduced, in my case, it was by my father uh, at a very, very young age and, uh, you know, kind of grew up around uh, that sort of golfing environment. And, um, you know, obviously things are much different today with how we teach and, and so on and so forth. But, um, you know, we had, um, you know, obviously access to, whether it be a country club or, or some other facility, <clears throat> pardon me, and 
you know, one of the interesting things was I played as you did. You know, I'm originally from Canada, um, in case you hadn't figured that out. But um, so we had a lot of other sports, uh, winter sports and uh, go Maple Leafs, by the way. That's my hockey team. Um, but, uh, you know, we had a lot of other sports that we played. And obviously in winter we had a, a whole myriad of other sports. But golf to me was always um, in the forefront, not just because my father played, but just I think because it was it was a different challenge. You know, all sports are challenging in various degrees, but it mimicked life in so many ways because there's so many ups and downs and, and challenges out on a golf course that you may be fa- – and it's never, you know, it's never really the same each time. It doesn't matter whether you play the same course or not. There's always new challenges, whether it be from the climate or wind or what have you or uh, just your whatever game you bring to the golf course. And I think that's what really drew me to it as well. And then I ultimately went on to, as you did, to teach and so forth, and now I'm more into the media side. But um, I just enjoyed – you know, sharing this great game with so many people. And it brings me to, you know, what you're doing now in addition to your teaching. And there was a point where you decided that there were some things that, that people were struggling with, particularly at Impact. And you developed a great product called the Impact Press uh, Training Aid. Uh, tell us a little bit, what was behind the start of that, that whole um, motion, if you will, the company? And what were some of the issues that you were seeing at that time that you felt you needed to go this route? Yeah. So the impact press uh, originated pretty much on the lesson T about, let's say about three years ago, I had a, uh, a new student in front of me and uh, I had chatted with them and uh, understood exactly what I would say their pains are and what their issues might be. Observed them, hit some golf balls. We got some data uh, got some videos, and then before I really said much more, I wanted to um, put something together to force them to to move in a certain way so that they could deliver the club through the hitting area a certain way. And for whatever reason, this is one of the first uh, you know people that I've worked with where it just struck me that I'm going to go in the club repair room, which was right behind the, the hitting bay I was in. I was lucky enough to have a, a nice academy building there. So we had a club repair room. I had the tools there. I had, uh, you know, demo equipment, a number of other things that uh, eventually helped me out here. So I took, I took some demo equipment, put it together, did some bending on the Lion Loft machine, took some tape, and I put uh, a piece of tape down on the hosel as well as one on the top line of the club head. And uh, this, mm-hmm. this was an iron. It was about uh, seven iron length. And I brought it back to the student and I asked them to set up a certain way and to accomplish a certain goal. Um, And what happened was without me saying much, they started to move much more efficiently and they started to deliver the club through the hitting area differently, which allowed for improved ball striking, um, better ball flight. So that's where this all first started. And I'll just being completely honest with you, I, to this day, I have no idea why this one student made me go back in a club repair room and do some things <laughs> that I've never done in my entire life uh, as, as a golf coach. But it just struck me after watching them hit some golf balls and see the data and, and take some videos. And that's what I did. And that's where it originally started. And, uh, a number of years later and a number of prototypes later, we eventually came to market and we uh, debuted at the uh, PGA show earlier this year. 
Wow, fantastic. And we're, we're going to get into a little bit more about that, but I want to back up for just a second because you, you, you kind of said something that was very interesting about getting them into the right positioning in that. I want you to explain um, a little bit about the difference between how the professionals are hitting the ball compared to many of our amateurs, because there is a difference. And explain what's happening when the pros are hitting the golf ball, what's actually happening through that impact area, and what's happening with typically with many of our amateurs and why there's such a difference and why they're not getting the good contact and not getting the desired uh, reaction. So maybe just before we get into further about what the impact press does and how it works, let's talk about really what the actual problem was that you were starting to see uh, with, with some of your uh, you know, students and amateurs that you were working with that obviously differs from what we would see from the professionals on tour. Yeah, so this student, the first student we were just uh, speaking about, had a club face issue. Now, there uh, is a number of ways to fix a club face issue, but as a golf instructor now for uh, 15, 16 years, I would say the biggest thing that instructors see is a golfer with a club face issue. And there's so many reasons why. There's grip, there's uh, wrist to forearm um uh, orientation issues and then there's a lot of other issues as well just from a basic standpoint of golfers don't exactly know what they need to do with the golf club mm-hmm. uh, as they're delivering it into the golf ball so this golfer had a club face issue so um what i wanted to do without tweaking grip uh, or without giving them too much information and i had all the data i use uh i use 3d i use uh, TrackMan. Uh, I'm, I'm a, right. what I consider myself as a, a pretty uh, tech savvy guy. Um, I mm-hmm. wanted them to just react based on the design. So I developed this training aid to help a golfer improve the movement of not only um, we'll say the lead wrist to forearm, but I also wanted the body to react in a certain way. So if, a, if the club face is let's say, out of position for a golfer, which we see often, typically the golfer reacts to the club face, and the club face for the majority of golfers typically is getting open at a certain part in the swing. So they'll react to whether it's the open club face or for a small percentage, the closed club face. And when they're reacting to that, the, uh, the wrists and the forearms work a certain way. And then the body reacts Mm -hmm. to that and starts to work a certain way. So the average golfer obviously uh, is struggling with controlling what I would call the low point of the swing arc. So pretty much where the club bottoms out. So, so many golfers struggle before contact, whether it's fat or thin. uh, And because of that, they're going to have severe, uh, what I would call face to pass issues. So even if they do put the club face on the ball, you know, one out of three times, they're really not able to predict a consistent start line and, and finish curvature, right? So um, mm-hmm. what I wanted to do is create something that gets the golfer to get the golf club to work in, let's say, at least with an iron, in more of a, a downward action into the ball. So we have an angle of attack that is more downward. Uh, we have a low right. point that's going to be forward of the golf ball. So they're hitting golf ball first and ground second. And when the club face starts to get in a a position that's acceptable, they're going to be able to do that more often. And when the club face is in that position, their body will subconsciously start to work differently. So they're going to be able to have 
uh, we'll say a little bit more of a linear move very early on in the downswing. And then that linear move mm -hmm. turns into more of a rotational move as they start to get that club closer and closer to the golf ball. So that then when the golf ball is struck, the hips typically are going to be a little bit more open than the shoulders, but the shoulders will still be open to the target line. We'll have a little bit more forward shaft lean, and they'll be able to just, you know, have pretty solid ball striking and a face-to-path issue that they can actually manage and control. You know, and, and one of the great things, as you pointed out earlier, um, now obviously in your prototypes you, uh, you know, sort of made a, a makeshift markers, if you will, but I know on your actual product, your, your final product, you've actually marked on as you said, the uh, top line of the, the club face and then on the hosel, you've actually put uh, markers there to indicate uh, various uh, positions and so forth that they need to be in. And so they actually get a visual cue as well as understanding um, what the club uh, face is doing and what the, the club shaft is doing all during the process. So you've put those markers together, and that gives the student now a visual cue as to what they need to be doing correctly. So in other words, they're getting great feedback as well, correct? Yeah, absolutely. So um, just to let all the listeners know, the look of the impact press at address pretty much looks like uh, your average seven iron, but in a pretty closed club face position. So the uh, center of the club face, the sweet spot, almost looks like it's pointing more towards your lead toe at address. And when the golfer does right. that correctly, the uh, first line or indicator that you spoke of on the hosel will look like it's pointed mm -hmm. pretty much right at the center of the body. So the red indicator matches up with the logo on the grip. That goes right towards the center of the body. The club face looks closed. Then the role of the golfer is to figure out a way to move this club both back and through and get the other indicator, which is a green line on the top of the, um, uh, the club head here, to point mm -hmm. towards the target or to where they want that golf ball to start. So if you can just think if you took a seven iron in front of you, close the club face down so it's pointing at your front foot, and then just move the hands, forearms, and body in a way to get that club face to, let's say, square to your target, just without even doing much, you're going to have a lot of forward shaffling. Your body's actually going to start to work a little more linear and have a lot more rotation um, than, uh, you know, what you were probably doing before. So that's, that's how it all started. The indicators are extremely important for feedback. And we also had to do a fair amount of work with the sole of the golf club the bounce, the lie angle, um, the grind, because if you were to take your normal iron and kind of shut it down or close it to the target line and then make it move and react as we have designed with the impact press, uh, your normal iron is not going to be able to react that way and interact with the turf correctly. Typically what's going to happen is the toe of the golf club is going to dig in the turf pretty aggressively. Balls are going to be struck more towards the inside of the club there's not a lot of dynamic right. off. So there's, um, we had to do a number of work on the, the sole, the lie angle, and the bounce as well to make this design work. We have a, a patent that just went through on it as well. So with, uh, we're excited for the future. Well, and, and what's really interesting about this, unlike 
you know, many of the other, uh, and we'll get to that in a second, many other uh, training aids that are out there, is you can actually hit shots with, uh, with the impact press, correct? Yes. So it is uh, obviously a club that uh, you can hit shots with. It fits in the bag. It doesn't look, we'll say, goofy. So uh, it kind of just looks like it's one of your golf <laughs> clubs. Um, so, right. that's, uh, you know, it's, it's funny, but uh, based on research, there's a lot of things that golfers are actually, and, and the training aids can actually be even pretty good, but golfers are hesitant to put in their bag just because they're, you know, they're, they're uh, afraid of what their buddies might say or, <laughs> you know, right. you name it. So that was, uh, that's one of the great things about the impact press. It can go in the bag. It can be hit. Um, it's reactionary. So the golfer does, just kind of reacts to the design and they subconsciously start to move differently and get better results. Well, and, and it's a great way, the fact that it, it does fit and sort of blend in with, uh, you know, with your regular equipment. Um, you don't want to tip off your buddies when they start to wonder why your game's improving, uh, actually how you're doing it, uh, because it does blend in so well. It doesn't look like your typical training aids. Um, it it kind of gives you a little bit of a leg up. And, you know, there are a lot of uh, training aids. Now, let me ask you something, just uh, going back to, to actually using it to, to hit some shots with. Uh, do you recommend... Uh, for first-time users, obviously, you want to work through the process, and I know you've got some great videos available up on, on various social media platforms, including your website, uh, that kind of show you the process. But uh, do you recommend initially, until they kind of get used to, to the sort of this new pattern, uh, that they kind of don't try to initially take full swings, that they kind of ease up maybe in part swings just to kind of get the, the, the flow, if you will, of, of how to actually use it properly? Great question. So we have a uh, training protocol that's on our website. So for everyone that purchases the Impact Press, and even for those that are just curious, they can go on our website, impactpressgolf.com, and kind of check out exactly uh, our preferred process for new Impact Press users. So when we first get an Impact Press unit into a golfer's hand, we actually do a number of exercises without hitting a golf ball. Uh, so when you're trying to change okay. a motor pattern, it's extremely important right. to do things away from a golf ball to one, understand what needs to happen. And two, to start to ingrain a different movement. So most golfers have been doing a certain um, pattern or movement for quite some time. And if we put the golf ball in front of them and ask them to hit, you know, we'll say full swings, typically they're just going to go right back to their old pattern and what they're comfortable with. So, that's where we start. We start off the golf ball. And then once we uh, bring the golf ball in, what we do is we start off with smaller swings. So one of the first exercises we do, we call shaft parallel, the club head down. So it's pretty much like a punch golf swing. Uh, and for your golfers right. out there, it would be almost like you're trying to hit a 20-yard little punch out out of the woods. And that's typically mm -hmm. where we start shaft parallel to club head down. And there's a number of uh, exercises we do with those smaller swings. Once the golfer feels proficient enough and comfortable enough on, on how to use the impact press and what they're seeing result-wise with that shaft parallel to club head down, then we go to what I would call lead arm parallel in the back swing to shaft parallel in the through swing. So it's just a little bit of a bigger swing. And then eventually we start to get to some of the bigger swings. But we start off off the ball, small movements, medium movements, and then eventually get into bigger movements. Um, and that's, that's one of the best ways that I've found 
even before the impact press to, um, to start allowing for golfers to improve movements uh, or position. Mm-hmm. Everyone has a pattern. Everyone has a motor pattern that they're used to doing. And in order to start to make the change and allow for the change to uh, click as quickly as possible, typically if we kind of do something similar to the, the program I just mentioned, you're going to get better faster. Yeah, and, and, and that's really what golfers want. You know, um, you know, being in the industry, we see so many of our amateur golfers out there, and especially our high handicappers that struggle uh, and, you know, they've gone out and they've bought all the, the gizmos and the gadgets to, to try and help improve. And one of the things that I know you want to point out, and this really goes to the difference um, with, with what you're talking about here tonight with the Impact Press and so many other products on the market, is that they tend to only uh, sort of fix the position by actually working on the position. They're not uh, something that translates easily once the golfer gets to their own equipment. So in other words, you know, you're using a, a, a training aid out there, but then when you actually get out in real course situations, you're using your own clubs now, it's very hard to translate those movements and so forth because it, there's not really anything to, to go by. And this is something that you wanted to make sure that the impact, uh, impact press did was that it would be something that would be translatable um, through the various drills and steps that they're going through using your product that when they got into their own clubs, it would be something that would, they would very easily transition through. Maybe touch on that a little bit. Sure thing. So as a golf coach, uh, improving, everything is cause and effect. So there's a reason why almost every single golfer struggles with how they deliver the club into the hitting area. Um, so before I developed the impact press, my goal as a golf coach was to figure out what that one main issue was to tackle that and then allow for that golfer to improve. So the majority of training aids out there, although there's so many good ones, um, typically they just focus on the, the position. So if we were going to just talk about impact, they're only working on the impact position. They're not actually tackling or focusing on what's happening prior to impact that is causing that golfer to struggle with how they strike the golf ball or what the club face is or the dynamic loft uh, at impact. So I wanted to make sure that we could develop something that would um, be, we'll say, reactionary, that start to improve mm-hmm. a number of things that happen prior to the golfer delivering the club through the hitting area And I wanted to do so without the golfer honestly really even knowing what they were doing. Because at the end of the day, golfers just want to get better. So if they start to move differently, if they start to improve their ball striking, and maybe the the training aid looks a little funky, but they're improving their overall, um, you know, start line and curvature, and they're they're hitting the golf ball further, that's what it's all about. So I wanted to make sure that we develop something that would allow golfers to um, just improve on their own without having to react to any, um, anything other than the actual design that we put in front of them. So that's what we, uh, we definitely tell all of our golfers, that uh, we are a reactionary design. We have the training protocol put in place for a reason. We want you to follow that training protocol. And if you do, you're going to get better, and you're going to get better quickly. 
Yeah, and, and, and that's really, like you said, that's what it's really all about. You know, we want students to be able to uh, understand the various movements because, as we all know, the golf swing can be uh, challenging and difficult for some people. Um, but with the right information and the right, you know, coaching and assistance, if you will, from, from uh, our fellow professionals, you're able to get out there and enjoy the game. And that's what people want to do. They want to be able to shoot lower scores, be able to play uh, with more for proficiency, and uh, this is something that your product is, is able to do is to help them get into the right position uh, at the right time. And uh, you also, um, I want to make note, too, that you uh, have now got some, some other uh, fellow professionals uh, as well as some uh, celebrity athletes that now are uh, coming out as part of your ambassador team. And uh, uh, first and foremost in your uh, fellow professional, Gary Gilchrist, who is uh, recognized as one of Golf Digest's top 50 best teachers uh, Golf Magazine also recognized him as one of the top uh, 100 uh, on their instructor list. And he's worked with a, a number of uh, tour players, both on the LPGA and PGA Tour. What's been some of his feedback uh, on in the Impact Press? And then uh, we'll also talk about somebody else who's not in the golf business, but also uh, is uh, become an ambassador of your team. Yeah, absolutely. So I've known Gary for quite some time. I've worked underneath Gary um, before I became a director of instruction here in New Jersey. So I knew when I was putting the impact press together that, uh, that Gary would like this. Gary is a, um, a golf coach that is obviously extremely successful and he's always trying mm-hmm. to find the easiest way to uh, communicate and to get a golfer to improve. So when I put this together and I, I sent Gary a unit, I knew it was going to be a hit based on his training programs that he has in place and how he likes to work with his tour players. So certainly having Gary on board and being an ambassador for Impact Press has been uh, extremely uh, helpful, especially with all the tour players he works with and the, uh, the big junior sure. golf academy following that he has as well. So that's been, that's been tremendous for us. And um, Gary likes simple things. So uh, the impact (laughs) to him is relatively simple, right? You set up a certain way with one indicator. The goal is to get the other indicator to, you know, point at the target where you want the ball to to start. And uh, it's super simple, but at the same time, it gets golfers to improve uh, their movements and their golf games quicker. So uh, it's been a, it's been a great, uh, great partnership so far. And I certainly appreciate his feedback. Well, and it goes back to what I said earlier is, you know, one of the things that's very unique about your product, um, unlike many others out there, is quite often you work with with some training aid, whatever it may be, um, and because you're not really getting the visual cues back that you get with the Impact Press, now when you transfer over to your own golf club and you try to repeat that same process, it's now not as fundamentally easy Whereas with, with your uh, swing training at the Impact Press, what you're able to actually do, because you can hit shots with it, you get not only um, the ability to actually see what, what the ball does, but you're also getting those visual cues on the clubs themselves, which is, is great. And I also want to mention that you had uh, somebody that's part of your ambassador team that's outside uh, of the golfing world, and that is uh, NFL veteran uh, Nick Williams. He's also joined uh, the Impact Press ambassador team. He's not a golf professional. He's not somebody that typically is is in the golf business, uh, but he is an athlete. And 
what has been some of his feedback and how do you think he is able to understand what it is that you're doing? Yeah, so Nick's actually a student of mine. Uh, he is a New Jersey uh, native, and I was using uh, a prototype of the Impact Press with him before the Impact Press even came out, and he absolutely loved it. Um, he mm. wanted to be part of the business, um, and uh, w- which was great. But luckily, you know, I, I want to, you know, I love helping golfers, but I'm a smart guy. I want I, the business to myself. So right. I didn't allow him to, to do that, <laughs> but I, I did allow him to obviously have one, use one, and improve his golf game. So uh, as, as a professional athlete, uh, and I've worked with, with a number of them uh, outside of the golf world, um, they're extremely uh, – well, typically, they're extremely hardworking – uh, they want to get better faster. That's the only way they've right. ever known from the time that they were, you know, 10 years old. So when you are able to, to give uh, a training aid to somebody and, and give them an objective and they start to, to feel uh, different things in regards to the ball striking, maybe how the ball's moving, and then visually they see what the ball is doing differently with the training aid opposed to normal clubs, there's a buy-in factor. And that happened with Nick. And um, right. it's been great. He, he's been fantastic. And he's got a lot of other friends that are obviously professional athletes. So uh, that's been uh, great. But uh, again, we're extremely excited to have these people, you know, using the impact press, feeling like it's helping them. And then telling people about it, because at the end of the day, you know, word of mouth mm-hmm. is the best form of advertising, as you know, because you don't have to pay anything for it. So yep. um, it's, it's worked right. out extremely well in that sense. Uh, yeah, and, and you're exactly right. I agree with that. I think nothing beats word of mouth. Uh, you know, I, I was thinking about this as you were, you were talking about Nick, and I was thinking, you know, um, you know he, I, I'm sure, has the opportunity to play with so many of his fellow uh, NFL veterans of the game. And uh, I, I could I could envision this going one of two ways. Either he'd be a great ambassador, or he'd be somebody that would kind of shut up about it, and not want to tell his fellow uh, uh, NFL uh, athletes uh, this great new device that he's he's uncovered because uh, it would might it might give him a little bit of advantage. So that could have that could have backfired on you just as easily if he decided not to be a good ambassador and, and keep it and keep the secret to himself, as it were. But uh, obviously, uh, like you, he wants to share. <laughs> Go ahead. Luckily, luckily, Nick is one of the nicest human beings you will ever meet in your entire <laughs> life. You would never have a sense that he has money, was a professional athlete. You wouldn't have right. a clue. Um, you know, and I'm sure there's other athletes that might do that, but, you know, Nick's, Nick's been great, <laughs> and uh, he's always, you know, promoting, and uh, he's been great. Oh, that's fantastic. Um, so you you talk about – uh, also, you know, you're like to kind of keep up on what's what's going on in that. What are some of the other, are there any specific trends that you're following right now? Uh, you know, you want to keep things uh, uh, current and, and, you know, much like um, uh, Gary, you know, in, in the sense that you want to really keep things as simple as possible for, for uh, uh, you know, your, your students and things like that. Is there any specific trends that you're really paying attention to um, that you see that, is going to help in, in future development of, of uh, other products that maybe you're working on? 
Yeah. So we have, we currently have another uh, training aid um, right now that we're currently working on. It's in prototype stage. It should be out probably midway through next year. Uh, But everything Mm -hmm. that, um, everything that we make is kind of, to fall underneath the impact press umbrella and to be reactive. I've, I've been a golfer since like I had mentioned, since I was about 11 or 12 years old. And I probably started messing around with training aids maybe early on in high school. And I, I I had so many training aids and some were just awful. (laughs) Some were great. Right. Trying to figure out what works and, uh, and what doesn't. And, how you can continue to help golfers improve and improve in a way that they're, they can maintain and continue to grow as players. And being a, a golf coach, I know there's, there's, I mean, Bruce right now looking at all, a number of training aids in the market, I can tell you that, you know, this, this probably won't work and this, this probably will because everything in regards to teaching and coaching is cause and effect. There's typically yep. one major issue that has an influence on the rest of what you might see when you're looking at a golfer and you need to figure out what you can do. If you're, let's say a training aid business like uh, impact press to maybe help those golfers improve a certain area, whether it's a body movement, a positional um, uh, area to help them improve their golf swing pivot, uh, you name it. So everything Mm -hmm. that we're going to continue to come out with will be, very similar to the impact press training iron. It's going to be reactionary. It's going to help you improve things that are causing the main issue, which I think is really important. Uh, Cause if you don't fix the things happening prior to the issue, it's never going to get better. It might look pretty right. good uh, when you're using the training aid and you're, you're just focusing on that one position. But the second the golfer grabs their own clubs and starts you know, making right. normal swings again, it's not fixing those things. So that's where we're going in the future of the training aid business. And then personally for me as a golf coach, I'm always looking for ways to improve how I communicate, uh, how I can mm-hmm. help golfers, what new science and new data might be telling us. I go to, I can't tell you how many uh, seminars, well, before COVID, how many seminars I would go to on a yearly basis. I, I travel all over the country to always try to improve, right. to get better at my craft. And, you know, hopefully once we, we get things figured out with COVID, I'll get right back to that. It's fun for me. I love helping and teaching people. And at the same time, that helps me kind of come up with new ideas and new training aids on how to help the golfer in front of me. Yeah, and and it's important to 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 see that because you're right. One of the uh, I guess the biggest pet peeves, um, you know, in the industry with a lot of the training aids is again it it sort of addresses one specific issue, um, but it doesn't really. It, it's almost like a band aid, if you will, in a lot of cases. And more often than not, what ends up happening is it, it collects dust in the garage because it's not really getting to the root cause of, of the problem. And so a lot of times golfers get frustrated. They just, you know, put it aside. This is not going to work. And so you really want to be careful that whatever it is that you come out with, and obviously you've, you've found a winner here with the impact press, is you want to find something that is, again, going to be repeatable, that people can learn from, 
and it helps them in, in a lot of different areas, not just at the moment of impact. And that's uh, important. And you, you touched on here, you, you know, you wanted to keep on top of, of different ways of communicating things. And, and another area that you, you talk about here is, um, is that you're really sort of following the remote coaching and lessons for golfers being able to ability to all over the world. Now, with COVID, many of your fellow professionals, some of them were already doing it. Um, many have, have sort of ranted up here on this sort of online or mobile coaching uh, uh, or remote uh, coaching, as you put it. Uh, platforms. Do you see that sort of being the next um, wave of, of golf instruction? And do you see that as from a both pro, a pro and con? Is there a danger to it as well that if we get too much in remote coaching, that it could backfire as much as it could be uh, helpful? What, what are your thoughts there? Wow, that's that's a really good question. Um, so. So yes, I certainly do remote coaching since COVID has happened. I do a little bit more remote coaching than I once did. I'm still primarily teaching the majority of my players in front of me. So I have people travel to me. Um, But I think that you can be extremely successful being a remote teacher or instructor. And there is, um, there's a a fair amount of, of coaches right now or instructors that are doing it and helping a lot of people and they're, they're making a really good living while doing it. Now, right. right. There's obviously some pros and cons to that. Uh, and it depends on what type of remote coaching you're doing as well. So some uh, people, sure. including myself are doing remote coaching where a golfer might be on a range, uh, you know, by themselves and they, they fill themselves from the face on and the down the line. They give us some information. They send us the video with some good notes. And then we kind of critique and we'll do a in-person demo and make sure they understand what they need to do. And we'll, we'll provide them drills. But then there's also coaches that are currently doing um, remote coaching, but it's live remote coaching where someone is actually right. on the range. They're on the phone, whether it's, uh, Zoom or you know any other of these these type technologies where you can in in live form see what the golfer's doing right and you you can personally also coach them that now that way now um, I think there's some potential issues with doing it live because down the road I think the clubs um, that right. you that your members might be at uh, or the instructors or coaches at those clubs, if they find out that maybe a member is doing that or a coach is working with one of their members doing that, that's kind of a, that's, that's a tight and and interesting um, issue that could potentially happen Mm -hmm. because, you know, most facilities employ, let's say a director of instruction or a teaching professional, and their goal is to work with the members. And if they have some guy doing it remotely with one of their members, that's, that's an interesting uh, topic uh, that could, could, yeah, exactly. That uh, potentially, uh, you know, might not work out well down the road, but I think there's more pros than cons in regards to remote coaching, especially in the world we're living in right now with all the, the social media and the tech savvy people. 
I think as we continue to, to move on in years, I think remote coaching will become a lot more popular, and I think a lot more coaches will start to, to move in that direction. And personally, as a coach, just speaking from, uh, you know, my own um, viewpoints here, I think it could provide coaches and instructors better way of life where maybe you don't feel like you're, you know, uh, I don't want to say a slave to the club, but it was so many of us are constantly uh, <laughs> at the club seven days a week, right? you know, 12 yeah. plus hours. And if you can kind of create your own business where you can do it when you want, who you want to do it with, you have a studio at your house or you have a studio at maybe space that you rent, it, that could be, you know, better for everyone where there's more time to do other things, spend time with family, go on trips, all the things that a lot of golf professionals or golf instructors aren't necessarily able to do in a season. Yeah. And, and you raise a valid points. Um, and, and I agree with you. I, I think that, I think it's like anything. I think, you know, Bill, I think you have to find a balance. I think, when it comes to technology, I think we're definitely moving in that direction, and I think the, the instructor has to find a sort of happy medium. And you're, you're exactly right. You know, there's issues that the clubs could potentially face. But at the same time, you know, one of the complaints that we get from a lot of instructors, too, uh, sort of doing it the old way is, you know, they're booked so heavily with lessons, and it's back-to-back-to-back-to-back. To back to back to back. And, you know, maybe in the course of day, it might be, you know, just 10 people that they're able to see, or some might do a little more, some might do a little less, depending on the, on the type of lesson plans they're putting forth. But the problem is, you know, they're out there in the heat and it's hot. And, and uh, you know, after about three or four lessons, uh, you know, a, a lot of variables start coming into it. The other thing that the coaching, remote coaching platforms uh, do is it allows them to, get the students more engaged at their timetable. So in other words, like as you said, if somebody's out at the range, even if they're not doing a live session, they can videotape things, they can send it to their coach, and then the coach can be, you know, maybe on a weekend or something, can review some of these things and give some feedback and some tips and things uh, to move forward, uh, as well as, you know, opportunities for live coaching. So there, there are a lot of variables that can be added to that, and I agree with you. I think it's a good thing. I just think that as an industry, we have to be mindful that we have to find a balance when it comes to technology that we don't just get to a point where we're standing in front of a computer or a monitor, uh, you know, and everything's being done that way um, and not, you know, sometimes the hands-on experience. Um, But I I agree with you. I think, you know, you have to move forward with, with our teaching uh, and find new ways to, to get the message out there. Because if you really think about it, when you compare golf to many other industries, there are many other business industries that have been doing something very simpler, uh, or sorry, very similar to what we're doing uh, in, in corporate the corporate world every every day. So you know, golf is just uh, another industry that has to start moving with the times, if you will. So I, I see the pros and cons, and I think you laid them out very eloquently. Um, so let's talk about uh, here as we get ready to wrap up. Uh, the future plans of your company. What uh, what are you planning? Uh, I know you said you got another prototype that uh, uh, that you're working on and hoping to have it through. But where do you see the future of this going? Yeah, ideally, uh, I, we're going to continue to grow and we're going to constantly try and come out with products that are going to help golfers. Uh, to me, it's that simple. That's that's why I started. Uh, the impact press originally I love helping people obviously in person but there's there's so many golfers that are out there that are trying to improve so if I can put something together 
that I know can help someone and maybe I can't necessarily see them in person, but they can purchase a product. And uh, if they follow a simple protocol, they can start to get better at golf. That's what it's all about to me. So as we continue to grow, I would love to be a company like um, there's two companies that I, I kind of look up to. I know one of them. So Martin Chuck at tour striker, they, Martin's continued mm-hmm. to, to come out with, with great training aids, innovative ideas over a, a very long period of time. And then also if you look at eyeline golf and, and all the products that they continue to come out with um, to help mm-hmm. golfers, you know, I, I think down the road, eventually impact press can be something similar to that, especially since, you know, my brain never stops, especially being a golf coach and being on the <laughs> lesson team all the time. Right. I'm constantly trying to figure out ways that golfers can improve at a faster clip. Um, so that's the goal moving forward. And uh, hopefully eventually in, in maybe 10 years, we'll, we'll be half as successful as those two companies I mentioned. Well, I think it's a great uh, goal and, and uh, certainly a couple of other great organizations to, to strive for uh, in your efforts as you move down the road. And, you know, I think right now this is a, a really a, a great time for the golf industry for a couple of reasons. Even though we're going through this pandemic and it's, it's been difficult for many, many folks out there, uh, we've been very, very blessed in the golf industry by the fact that our by the very nature of, of how this game is played, we, we have a sort of a built-in social distancing, if you will. So many golf clubs, of course, most of them now have been able to uh, maintain their, you know, being open and, and being able to, uh, you know, play this great game. But also um, by virtue of many other uh, sports and other activities not being as freely open, it's really forced a lot of people to come out to this. So it's really been a really unique opportunity for the golf industry because there have been so many people that maybe uh, normally would not have been drawn to this game uh, at all, or maybe at this point have almost really been, and I hate to use this way, but uh, this term, but forced uh, to come out to the golf course because they really had nothing else to do. So it's a, it's a very unique opportunity for the golf industry right now. And I hope as an industry, we, we take advantage of that and find ways of really reaching out to some of these new golfers that have never picked up a golf club before or maybe even thought of it uh, and finding ways of, of keeping them engaged uh, in, in this game. And I think having a great product like Impact Press is a great start because, again, it's, it's teaching them a very important area of the game uh, that, that can be difficult for, for even uh, some of the more seasoned players. So I think uh, you, you've got a winner here for sure. Um, what, what are your thoughts on, on that with as far as the uh, – the new new crop of golfers that have been coming out. Do you think that that's something that we really need to pay attention to? Most certainly. And there hasn't been a, a professional that I've spoken with uh, this year uh, that, that hasn't said they're, you know, almost the busiest they've ever been because of how many people right. are actually working, <laughs> we'll say remotely now. So here in New right. Jersey, we open probably a little later uh, in regards to facilities sure. and golf clubs than the rest of the country. But I believe we opened somewhere in April. I can't remember exactly. But since that time, right. um, at my facility where I'm the director of instruction at Forsgate, uh, our tee times are just absolutely ridiculous seven days a week right now. Like it's like there's tee times till five right. in the, the evening. And then the other club yep. that our owner owns that I'm, I'm at Shack and Maxon country club, um, 
their their tee times go till about almost six or six thirty at night because they just have eighteen holes. So there are so wow. many more golfers right now practicing playing golf because they have more time because they're working remotely and it goes for beginner golfers as well they have more time to do things they want to do so yeah absolutely it's huge i I couldn't agree more and and like i say I, i hope that the industry as a whole really comes together and says hey we've got an opportunity here to with a a new crop of of uh, potential golfers out here let's find ways to to again make it easier for them to learn and understand this game and encourage them to want to continue on uh, and not just, you know, when things sort of cool down, uh, you know, environmentally with the, with the COVID and so forth that people just say, well, okay, I'm going to go back to doing what I did before. We want to encourage them to stay involved and in, in, interact uh, in this game. Cause I think once they get here and once they, you know, have some good solid instruction and, and get a, a better understanding of how the game is actually played, I think a good percentage of them are going to want to continue on. But, um, Absolutely. You know, it's it's very, yeah. I, I just think it's a it's a it's really a good time uh, for golf right now, uh, despite what's going on. And uh, I just hope that again that we we seize that opportunity. Um, well, Bill, I want to thank you very much for for joining tonight. And before I let you go, I want to give you an opportunity uh, to um, share with the folks the best way that they can uh, number one reach out to you if they're up in the New Jersey area and also how they can learn more about the Impact Press. Uh, you can give out that website again and any other contact information you want uh, for the folks to, to reach out to you. Sure thing. So I have two websites, one for my teaching and coaching, which is bs3golf.com. It can also be found uh, pretty much on all social media avenues at bs3golf. And then for my training aid, the Impact Press, you can go to impactpressgolf.com and also follow us on all social avenues at Impact Press Golf. And Impact Press is also uh, in a number of online retailers such as PGA Superstore and Rock Bottom Golf, golftrainingaids.com, in the whole golf, uh, a number of other ones as well. So we're out there if you're interested. And uh, if you have any questions, feel feel free to reach out to me on one of those uh, one of those websites. All right. Well, Bill, thank you very much for joining me this evening on Golf Talk Live. I appreciate you sharing uh, a little bit about uh, your insight into the game and, and also about your great product, uh, the Impact Press uh, Training Aid. And much continued success. And let me know when your new product becomes available, and we'll have you come back on and uh, and share that with the audience as well. Well, this was great, Ted. I appreciate this so much, and I uh, look forward to speaking with you soon. All right. Thank you very much and have a great weekend. You too. All right. Bye-bye. All right. That was my very special guest, a PJ teacher, professional and inventor and owner of the impact press, Bill Schmieds and uh, uh, really a great product. It, it, it truly is. I, I, you know, I always take a look at everything, um, you know, before I have my guests on the show and, and uh, it's exactly as he, he talked about this evening on the show, uh, it, it really does give you the visual cues that uh, are needed to uh, really help you through that, that uh, transition area through impact. And uh, I like the fact as well that you're actually able to hit shots uh, with this training aid and, uh, and even get further feedback. So you definitely want to uh, check that out. Uh, also, I want to once again thank uh, both Johns, John Hughes and John Decker for uh, joining me this, uh, earlier this evening on the Coach's Corner panel. Thanks, guys, for doing a fantastic job. And uh, I look forward to another great show next week with uh, another uh, group of uh, guest panelists and another great uh, uh, special guest on my show. So 
for those of you that are tuning in uh, towards the end here, uh, you can go to blogtalkradio.com and type in Golf Talk Live at the end of the show and uh, just wait a little bit and you can scroll down and the uh, recorded version will be there uh, in the on-demand section. Um, and uh, at the end of the show, you'll hear the uh, closing credits. We'll give you some other great ways to continue to the broadcast as well. So again, uh, thanks uh, to my special guests. God bless everybody. Have a great weekend. Stay safe. And we'll see you next time right here on Golf Talk Live. Thanks for listening to this evening's broadcast of Golf Talk Live. Remember to tune in each week at blogtalkradio.com forward slash golf talk live. If you can't join us live, check out the on-demand section for previously aired broadcasts. Or listen on any of the following social media platforms. iTunes, Stitcher, TuneIn, CastBox, TalkStream Live, and of course, Spotify. To get updates on future shows and upcoming guests, be sure to visit the show's Facebook page, Golf Talk Live Blog. You can also follow me on Twitter at Ted and Buck CEO. Remember to join me live each week for another great broadcast of Golf Talk Live. See you next time. This has been a production of the iGolf Sports Network.